Well, hey, and welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. We are in week two of our series called Bridging the Gap, and Chris is talking about transformation today, that when you choose to put God first and he gets your best, the result is that your life will be transformed. Here's Chris. How cool is that? Let's, uh, let's thank those guys for sharing their story, huh? One of the things we're going to try and do through this series is just share stories of what God is doing just to help us appreciate how wonderful and good it is to be part of a church where God is helping people find and follow Him and where we all get to be a part of that. Uh, It is, in my opinion, there is no greater place to invest your time, energy, talents, treasure all of it than in the local church because it is God's rescue plan for our world and the difference we see in the lives of families and their kids and eventually their kids and eventually their kids and what we do here guys is a generational transformation and every one of us who calls this church home every one of us who is a part of God's kingdom that's what our lives are about that's that purpose last week I said you know, you need the gift to you as a purpose to live for that's bigger than you. And, uh, and that God's kingdom is that purpose. And so as we share those stories, we get to celebrate what God is doing, to see what God is doing. And uh, it's just so encouraging. Well, if you're new with us this week, we just kicked off a new sermon series last week called Bridging the Gap. And uh, I want to invite you and encourage you to go back online and watch last week. Uh, Also, make sure you pick up this book. It says it's the Bridging the Gap Notebook on your way out. If you didn't get one today uh, or you didn't get one last week, you're going to need that to come along on this journey. It's a six-week sermon series, and I believe it's going to be one of the most transformational and significant sermon series we've ever done. And not necessarily because this is the best preaching that I've ever done. I'll do my best. I can't make any promises. Uh, but because of the c- content that we're covering and because what I believe God wants to do in your life. You know, we're, we're going to lay out over the next, uh, the next weeks where we're going over the next couple of years, the, the mission and, and, and vision and, and how that's going to be expressed in the next couple of years. And it's exciting. God's got some really cool stuff for us, I believe, that will impact our community in ways that will reverberate for generations. It's really, really cool. Uh, last week, I unpacked four uh, projects that we're going to, to be working on. Um, the first one being a, and I kind of couched it in the, the, the metaphor of a bridge. We're building bridges across gaps. And the first one is the gap between God and the next generation. The, 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 and, and I'm going to show you a video on that in just a second. Uh, the second is uh, a bridge to families. And we're looking at this building across the street that we now own and and not only using that on Sunday morning to reach the next generation, but to reach families throughout the week through a daycare and childcare center that will accommodate somewhere between 250 and 300 kids for 40 hours a week. It's going to be amazing. And then the third bridge is a women's hope center, recovery house. Uh, we're already working on, we already have our men's center going. Let's hear it from uh, the hope center guys, wherever you guys are. 
God's already doing amazing things there, and many of you have even gotten involved so far, and that is awesome, uh, and can't wait to see what God does through that ministry. We need a women's center, and so that's part, that's one of the bridges that we're, we're going to build. And then the final bridge is a, is a uh, church expansion in a slum in Costa Rica with a church and a pastor that we're working with to feed street kids there. And so that's always a win. That's going to be an amazing thing. And so we're, we're going to, we're setting out to raise a bunch of money to do all these projects. Uh, but more significantly, I, I feel more significantly, God wants to bridge some things in our hearts personally. And, and this is, you know, I, God, I'm as, ex, as excited as I am about these projects and the impact that they're going to have in our community and in, in the communities that we serve. I'm, I am just as excited about what God wants to do. I believe he wants to use this, this purpose, this excitement, this vision to help us bridge some gaps in our own hearts. And I really think that's going to happen if you're willing to engage and let God engage you. He has some transformation uh, in store for you. Mike mentioned that uh, when you came in, you got this bridging the gap uh, prayer card. It says on the back of it, my prayer for bridging the gap is, if you would um, leave this here, you can drop these in the, the buckets in the back on the way out, but if you would just write whatever God has on your heart for bridging the gap. It might be personal, it might be for the projects, it might be both, uh, but I want to join you in praying for this, and I want to call you to praying for it. And so if you would write whatever God has laid on your heart to pray for this, this uh, initiative, and then we're going to just leave these uh, when you leave. So I draw that to your attention now. All right, bridge number uh, one, a bridge to the next generation. I asked uh, Matt to put together just a video to help us dive in a little bit deeper on that. So take a look. So that's bridge number one. That's where, where we're going, at least in part, and uh, I believe a transformational step for us. And I really do envision, I, I believe part of the reason God brought us to this theater for church on Sunday morning is because he wants to fill it up. There's a revival coming, and, uh, and uh, he's going to use you and me to do that, uh, but we have to be able to accommodate their kids. You know, we're talking, the theme today is transformation. And there is a transformational step in a, your personal journey with God. With every one of us has a journey with God. And there's a transformational step in that journey. Some of us have taken it. Some of us have not. All of us wrestle with it. It's a daily challenge. But that rest or that, uh, that step is what I call the Jesus take the wheel step. You know what I'm talking about? It, it's the, I am no longer in the driver's seat of my life. Jesus, you get in the driver's seat. I'll be the co-pilot. You know that Jesus is my co-pilot uh, license plate? Get rid of that. All right? That's, that's yesterday. Today, it's the Jesus take the wheel. You are in charge. I am the co-pilot step. You're king. I am not. You call the shots. I'll do what you say. You're first. I'm second. It is a profound step in your journey with God and one that God wants every single one of us to take where God is no longer just an add-on to our life. I go to church on Sunday because it makes me feel better, which it does, and that's good, but that's not why I go to church on Sunday. I go to church on Sunday because God's first. He's not an addition to my life to make sure that my kids turn out all right and my work is good or my business is blessed or whatever else. He's king. He's Lord. He gets to be in charge. 
And part of the transformation that I am praying for for every single one of us as we walk through this series is that we will take that step in practical ways in our life. And I want to invite you to start to pray for that for yourself as we go, because that can be a process in our hearts and one that we have to walk with God through. If you would, if you brought your notebook, open up to page 22 in the notebook. Uh, that's where our notes are for today. And uh, I encourage you to, to take notes and write along. And as, as I speak, you know, oftentimes I'll speak something and you'll hear something completely different because God's whispering something into your heart. Write those things down. And then if I say something interesting, you can write that down too. But God's stuff is way better than mine. So here we go. First point is this. God's desire for your life is nothing short of transformation. God's desire for your life is nothing short of transformation. He, he is not there just to, to, you know, make you more comfortable. He's there to transform your life. And the transformation is good. The transformation is better than what you got going on. It's better than your plans. His plans are better than your plans. In Romans 12, 2, the Apostle Paul penned these words. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern of this world? I'm number one, right? It's all about me. That's the messaging we hear every day 10,000 times a day, according to uh, research. 10,000 times a day, we are marketed to, we have 10,000 marketing impressions a day, and we hear the message, it's all about you. You're number one. You need more. You don't have enough. You need to get more. You need to make yourself more comfortable. You need to make yourself more entertained. You need more to, be, to, to even you know, be fulfilled in this life. That's the pattern of this world. He says, don't conform to that anymore, but he says, be transformed. If you got your Bible out, underline, be transformed. Be transformed. God wants to transform your life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God presents to every single one of us an invitation for transformation. I think for so many people who call themselves Christians in this day and age, either consciously or subconsciously, we've bought into the messaging of our age, into the pattern of our world, and we wonder why we're not fulfilled. Because you haven't been transformed. You're still pursuing your fulfillment the way the rest of the world is. And God says, no, 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 no. Be transformed. And this will take you from fear to freedom from anxiety to peace, from, from closed-fisted, all-about-me living to open-handed, it's all about God living. And that's an adventure, and that's where purpose is found. The question is, how do we get there? How do we, how do we make that, that transformation? And as I was sitting down and putting this message together, I felt like the Lord gave me a, a formula. I don't know if God works in formulas, but I, I kind of do, and I'm sure it has its, its shortcomings, but I'm going to share it with you because I think it, it is really helpful, and it's this. Transformation equals information, so we need to learn things. We need to know what God says, plus application. We actually have to do what He says. See, when we 
when we apply what we know to be true from God's word and we see God come through, when I teach you that God is trustworthy, but then you take a risk and the step of faith and trust God with something that really kind of takes your breath away and you see him come through, it transforms that knowledge. It goes from I know this up here to I know it in my bones. That's faith. That's transformation. You can't listen your way to transformation. You actually have to do what he says. And when you experience God's trustworthiness in your life, you'll never be the same. You know, in a past life, I was the outdoor adventure leader, instructor, whatever. And uh, for a couple of years, I went around the country building ropes courses. And a ropes course is an obstacle course up in the trees. If you've been up to Ogilvy, they have kind of an adventure high ropes course, adventure course, but it's not all that high. It's kind of low, actually. Um, some of the courses that, I, that we built and I worked on were 40, 50 feet up in the trees, like four or five stories up, really, really high. And, and, and it's a bunch of aircraft cables and, and ropes and different things. And, and uh, the idea is you get your, I was working primarily with teenagers and they would climb up into the trees and they were completely safe and we would go over all of this beforehand. You've got a harness on, that harness holds 4,000 pounds. You've got carabiners, they hold 6,000 pounds. The ropes hold 6,000 pounds and the aircraft cables that you're clipped to are gonna hold 14,000 pounds. There ain't no way on God's green earth that unless you completely unclip, that you can fall. You're completely safe, right? That's the information. We give them the information up front. And they would climb up and they'd get up, you know, 20, 30 feet. They'd start shaking and get the, the you know, the sewing machine leg, is what we call it. And they could get, you know, and it's like, you're clipped in. It's fine, right? But, but it's, it's not, it's real up here, but it's not real in their bones. Right? And then ultimately what would happen is we'd get them up there and if they were really nervous, they'd say, okay, stop. Here's what I want you to do. Once you hold onto the rope that's clipped into the aircraft cable that holds all that weight, I want you to lean back and just trust the rope. <laughs> you know, and their eyes get about that big. But when they do, it's like, oh, they got it right? The application. So then they can go through the ropes course, having a great time and enjoying it. I mean, it's a little, it's still maybe a little scary from time to time and they have their moments, but generally speaking, it's now, you know, it's fun. It changes the nature of the journey through the ropes course, right? Until they got to the end. There was one in North Carolina that I worked on that at the, the last element in the ropes course was a big giant swing. We called it the big giant plunge. And it was about 50 feet in the air. And so they would come through all of that. And then we would sit them in a seat and put a seatbelt around them. And they were still clipped in. They weren't going anywhere. And we would pull up this cable. And this cable, there were two trees with a pole between them and a cable that hang, hung down that hold, held 14,000 pounds, right? And so we pulled the cable up and we would clip it to their harness that they were you know, that they had trusted all the way through. And there was a little place for them to put their feet and their hands and, and all of that. And then we would say, are you ready? And nobody was ever ready. I mean, this was terrifying because you would free fall for about 30 feet before that cable would catch. And then it was like, and, and so they would, they would come in. And so when they were ready, you were ready for us to unclip the seatbelt. And it would take, I mean, some, 
Some kids would get there pretty quickly. Others would take 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. And we would sit there with them because it was such a powerful step to take. And you're like, why is it powerful to trust a piece of aircraft cable? It's facing your fear and stepping out and walking through it, knowing that, that this thing has you. But then when you experience the fact that it has you, it changes everything. I mean, these kids, once they would go, would, would walk differently the rest of the week at camp. I mean, their, their confidence was through the roof. They, they saw the world differently. There was something powerful about it. And it was a metaphor for faith because really that's what God calls us to do. I've got you. I want you to step out and take a risk. It feels risky, but you know I got you. And when we do, he comes through and that trustworthiness becomes part of who we are, not just something we think or understand with our minds. Does that make sense? Say yes. And you know what the, the, you know what the payoff is? You're flying through the trees. It's a blast. It's the ride of a lifetime. But it has impact far beyond just that moment. That's what I'm talking about. As we go through this series, I believe God wants to take what you know up here and dial it deep into your life, into your bones, so that you understand it with the very essence of who you are. And that changes the way you go through life. It changes your level of peace. It changes your level of, of perspective. So I'm going to give you some information. I'm going to teach you all about how we're all on mission for God. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's the purpose that we're supposed to be living for, that he's trustworthy, that the pathway to an abundant life is through actually obeying him and doing what he says, that surrender is the key to victory, some counterintuitive things that Jesus taught us while he was here. I'm going to teach you all of those things, and you'll know them up here. But at some point, there's going to be a, an opportunity to take a step of faith and trust him, to unbuckle the seatbelt and, uh, and go for it. I'm going to challenge you to apply what we're learning and as I said last week, I'm inviting you to, to, to pray, to listen to God, and I hope He takes your breath away as you listen to Him. You know, as I, I have been, one of the application points of this series is, is on week six, we're going to have what we call Commitment Weekend. And, you know, and I'm going to ask all of you to pray and ask God how you should participate financially in making these projects happen, and then do what God tells you to do. Well, I was, I was praying about that. I felt like God told me something that I was like, no, <laughs> just honest. And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, oh, no, 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 this is that seatbelt moment. This is the, this, like, do I really trust you, God, enough to do what you say? And, and as I reflected on, on that and as I reflected on God's faithfulness over the course of my life, I started getting really excited about what he was asking me to do. Um, and, um, and, I, and, you know, and then I woke up the next day because I'm a human being and I'm like, no! <laughs> and then I thought better of it and I'm like, no, okay, God, I'm excited about it. I know you have better for me at the other side of this than I have for me right now. And I'm excited about what God's going to do in my life, in my journey with Him, in my trust level with Him. And I hope you are too. Because as we experience His faithfulness, there's transformation in our, in our hearts. 
And you can't just listen your way to transformation. You have to engage. You have to trust. You have to take those steps of faith. You know, one of the reasons, as as I was doing the ropes course stuff, right, one of the things that I saw was so powerful is for the people who are up on that big giant swing, to be able to take that step, oftentimes it was because there was a group of people at the bottom cheering them on. You can do this. You got it. They were encouraging them. There's a reason that courage is the root word of encourage, isn't there? Because we find courage as we are encouraged by the people in our lives. It's the reason groups are so important. It's the part of the reason why we are doing groups through this this series. And if you're not in a group yet, stop out in the lobby on your way out and get in a group. Uh, it's not too late. The, the conversations have been phenomenal this week, and I encourage you to get in because as we are encouraged, we find the courage to take these steps of faith that God transforms our lives with. Often the courage to take a step of faith comes from the encouragement of others. And look at the promise that Paul, Paul gives us in Romans 12 too. He says, then you will know God's perfect will. Not just up here, but in our whole self. Like, as we are transformed, as we take those steps of faith, the Spirit speaks more and more. He leads our lives. You know, I talk to people, like, I just want to know what God's will is in this, because I want it to work out well. Well, God's will becomes more and more clear the more and more we allow Him to transform us and walk a life of faith. You know, in the New Testament, there's a, a, a guy, his name was uh, Saul. Saul was, when Jesus was crucified, was a Pharisee. Uh, he was one of the guys, most likely, that had Jesus crucified. After Jesus left the, and the church was born in Acts chapter 2, Paul took it upon himself to hunt down Christians, kill them, had Stephen killed, arrest them, put them in jail. His goal was to wipe out this new movement called Christianity. It wasn't called Christianity at the time. It was called the way. But uh, at any rate, it was, um, Saul, that, this, was his, this was his plan. This was his life mission. But then he has this transformational experience. And Acts chapter 9, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, just a little little spoiler alert, God eventually changes Saul's name to Paul. All right, but and Saul would have known about the teachings of Jesus, but he is now having a transformational experience with Jesus. He becomes a different person. He, he goes on in verse five. It says, "Who are you, Lord?" Saul asked. "Well, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting." He replied. Now get up. I think he said it like that too. <laughs> get up, get up, and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Well, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand 
into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. Well, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. This is an interesting interesting change. Drop down to verse 17. It says, Placing his hands on Saul, Ananias did, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up, and he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul goes on, as I said, to become the Apostle Paul. He ends up planting churches all over the Mediterranean, all over that part of the world. He probably expanded the Christian movement in that era more than anybody else, even the disciples that walked with Jesus, or he was definitely definitely at the upper edge of that. He wrote prolifically. His, his letters became books of the New Testament, and more of the New Testament are the writings of Saul than anybody else, or the writings of Paul. He went from the chief persecutor of this Christian movement to the chief propagator of this Christian movement. It's a story of transformation. That's what God does. That's what God wants to do in your life. And He invites every single one of us to be transformed. But the truth is our hearts are forever tempted by the pattern of this world, aren't they? They are. That, and Jesus pointed this out over and over again, the temptation for the affection of our heart, the, the, the temptation for first place in our life, the temptation for anything else to be God other than God is the pattern of this world. And, and, and the pattern of this world, I said at the beginning, was what? It's all about me. We're God. It's either me or God. Now, the way this manifests and the way that Jesus expresses it is stuff. Really, because my stuff is really about me and what I have. And, and so Jesus says, look, either God's going to be God in your life or stuff is going to be God in your life. It's, it's the way that it works. Now, for some of us, stuff is God in our life, maybe by default because we've never thought about it. But stuff is God in our life because, because it's where we find our identity it's where we find our comfort. It's where we find our uh, who we are. And that, that's on the greed side of things. For others of us, stuff is God in our lives because of fear. So we've got greed and fear. And on the fear side of things, we're afraid there won't be enough. Instead of God being our security, our stuff is our security. In either case, you'll never have enough stuff. You'll never have peace. And, and so that's what, that is the pattern of this world that will compete to be God in our lives. And our hearts are forever tempted by that. That's why we're tying this, this series to financial stewardship. You know, um, let me explain real quick. This is just a, one of those dictionary moments in the sermon because... Uh, the idea of stewardship isn't something that we really talk about in our culture unless you've grown up in church because it's just not a principle that, that we really live out from a practical standpoint. A steward was a very common thing in Jesus' day, and, and really in, 
Um, even if you would go to England around the end of the 1800s and into the 1900s, there were still what we would call stewards. And a steward was somebody who, Downton Abbey fans, anyone? Nobody? Yeah, you guys don't watch. You guys are too holy for that. I got you. Um, don't watch television. All right. So, so a steward was somebody who managed the affairs of the Lord and the lady of the manor, right? So you've got the Lord and the lady, and they, they own everything. They own the land. They own all of that. And they would have a steward who would take care of their stuff and manage their stuff for them. That was called a steward, all right? That was common in Jesus' day as well. Jesus told a bunch of parables about I'm going away and I'm going to give you some stuff, but I expect you to steward these things, to, to grow these things on my behalf while I'm gone. I'll be back, right? So this is the idea of stewardship, and it's a word that we'll come back to over the course of this series. Here's the thing about stewardship. Nothing belongs to the steward. Nothing belongs to the steward. And in God's economy, nothing belongs to me. Nothing belongs to you. It's all God's. And one of the most significant steps you will take, transformational steps that you will take, and in fact, you have to get to this point at some point in your journey with God. You have to wrestle this to the ground. One of the most significant steps you can take is when you get to that point, when you recognize, ain't none of it mine. It's all God's. I am taking care of this for Him. And that's not just something, I can teach you that. That's something you need to experience in here as well. And I know some of you are saying, well, that's not true. I've worked hard for what I have. You couldn't get out of bed in the morning if God didn't give you the ability to get out of bed in the morning. You couldn't go earn and work and do the skills or talents you have if God hadn't given them to you. Everything is God's. And I'm telling you, it is one of the most liberating steps you can take, transformational steps you can take in your walk with God. When you understand that in your bones, it's like going off the big giant swing. It's freedom. I said last week, you know, your financial advisor, if you have one, does not lay awake worrying about your money at night because it's not his. You don't have to lay awake worrying about your money at night because it's not yours. It's why we're focusing on finances for transformation, not because God needs your money. We covered that last week as well. God doesn't need your money. He owns everything. It's because He wants your heart. He wants your freedom. He wants you to soar through the trees, so to speak, as you go through this life. Jesus said this would be the one thing above all others that would compete to be first place in our life. In Matthew 6, 24, he said this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And in case there's any ambiguity about what Jesus is talking about, he says very specifically, you cannot serve both God and money. Can't do it. Are there other things that can compete to be number one in our life, a relationship or a you know, career or whatever? Yeah, but it really kind of all comes back to this. And this is the most universal, and I think why Jesus laid it out. 
Nothing is as universal as our love for stuff, either the fear or the fear or the greed. And nothing is as liberating as understanding in your bones that it's not your worry. Your job is to take care of whatever He's given you. It's not yours. Guys, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to wrestle this one to the ground. You have to put stuff in its proper place in your life or it will continue to sabotage your life. And it's a mindset. It's the information. I'm teaching you this right now. But it is also the application. And there are few things that I've seen that grow us, that get this real in our lives, than the choice to be intentionally generous and put God first in our finances. You know, I have had some amazing transformational experiences in my walk with God. I've seen God do miracles. I've seen Him heal my body overnight through prayer. I, I mean, I'm not going to tell the story. Some of you know it, but it's like, wow, I can point back to that. That was 23 years ago. But it was, it was something else. It was cool. I can point to that. I've seen God. I was on a hiking trip once, and a friend of mine fell down, broke her wrist, angulated fracture. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, 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 the wrist went off in a different direction. Like there was no question. I did not need an x-ray. It was broken. You could see. We prayed for her, splinted it. By the time we got back to the cabin, it was com no pain, completely straight. Everything was better. I can point to that and go, wow. But, you know, the decision to put God first in my finances, which is a decision that Christy and I made at the beginning of our marriage, I can look at that every day. I see God's faithfulness every time I open up the bank account. I see God's faithfulness at every step along the way where he provides, oftentimes miraculously. I'm like, how is this happening? It's transformational. And it's the thing that has its hooks in my heart. And it breaks the power of those hooks. And that's the thing that has the hooks in your heart as well. And the 10,000 marketing messages that it's all about you and you need more don't help. Brings me to point number three. Transform your giving. Transform your faith. Transform your giving. Transform your faith. I'm going to teach you something very practical right now. In the Scripture, giving to God is always our first and our best. This goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. God always gets our first and our best. This is a biblical principle. We see it in Proverbs 3, chapter, or 3, verse 9. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Honor God, worship Him, put Him first, with the first fruits of all of your crops. So they were an agrarian society, all right? So they would grow crops, or they would raise sheep, or they would raise cows, or whatever they, whatever they would raise. But he's talking about crops. And so, you know, unlike today where they go out and spray the crops with weed killer and it all goes to seed and they harvest it all at once, isn't that gross? I mean, anyway, that's a different sermon. Um, 
But back then, it would come in a little bit at a time, right? And so they would take the first part of their crop, usually the first 10%, that's called a tithe, and they would take the first part and they would bring it and give it to God, trusting that God would provide the rest of it. So they would estimate whatever that 10% was, they'd bring that to God, and then it was, a, it was an act of saying, God, you're first, God, you get my best, because the best comes out first, and, and, and God, it's an act of worship, I'm, I'm declaring that you're Lord, and it's an act of dependency. God, I believe that you're good for the rest of it. With their, with their animals, if they were sacrificing an animal, it was the firstborn, it was a spotless animal, it was the first, it was the best. With their tithing, they would bring their first and their best. They would even dedicate their oldest firstborn son to the Lord as part of it was part of how we worship God. You know, the story of Cain and Abel, we, we covered this a while ago when we were in the beginning of Genesis in chapter four. But they're, they're the, the sons of, of Adam and Eve. And it says this in Genesis 4, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. So one became a shepherd, the other became a, a gardener. In the course of time, it says, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. He brought some of the fruits from, from what he did. There's nothing wrong with him being a gardener. God's not angry at him being a gardener. He's, but he just brings some of, of what's, what's left. And it says, and Abel also brought an offering. He brought the fat portions. Guys, the fat portions, I know today we like lean meat, right? We want a, want a nice lean filet. But guys, the best part's the fat. Again, I, we can have a ribeye conversation later, but the, it's the fat portions in their culture would have been the best portion. So he gets the best, he gets the fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. So he gets the best God gets the best in the first. Then it says, the Lord looked with favor upon Abel and his offering, the first and the best. But Cain and his offering, he did not look at with favor because Cain brought the leftovers. See, there was a, even a, he's like, well, at least he brought something. Yeah, that's good. But God is like, no, 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 no. We're going to establish this. I get the best. I get the first because of what that does in our hearts, because of what that says about where our hearts are with him and with our stuff and who and what is God in our life. God always gets the first and best. What you give your first and best to reveals what is God in your life. You know, we all give our first and best to something. In our culture today, by and large as Americans, we give our first and our best to our lifestyle. Or if we live on the fear side, we give our first and our best to our savings. Right? But, and, and then if there's anything left, God can have some of what's left at the end of the, the week or the month or the year. And God's like, no, 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 no. Give me the first and best. Trust me for the rest. It is a declaration of dependence and trust. It is a declaration of worship as well. And it's only when God is first in your life, when we trust him with everything, that we are truly free. Now, the cool thing about this is when you get this right, the rest of your priorities fall into place 
very easily. It's kind of like when you button a shirt. Have you ever buttoned a shirt and got the first button wrong? You know, you get it off by one and, and your collar's up here and you look silly. But if you get that first button right, what happens to the rest of the buttons? It's pretty easy, right? You don't even have to look. It just kind of go, falls into place. Same thing is true when we get our giving right. When God gets our first and best, the rest of our priorities fall into line pretty easily. This is a transformational step in our surrender with God, in our journey with God, and they, taking that step and saying, Jesus, take the wheel. It's super important. Point number four, when you choose to put God first and He gets your best, your life will be transformed. Again, we all, we all give our first and best to something. Either savings or lifestyle or God. What is it for you? What do you spend your first and your best on? The financial pattern of this world, as I said, is primarily spend. If there's anything left, save. If there's anything left, then we'll give, give whatever's left over to God. The financial pattern of God's kingdom is upside down from that. It's give first, first and best. Save some, that's a good idea, and then build your budget and your lifestyle on what's left. Guys, that's transformational. And that's not just transformational spiritually. Practically, that brings a tremendous amount of peace and intentionality to your life. Turns out the shirt buttoning analogy is it really works, but some of us are walking around with our sleeve buttoned to our collar and we're wondering what the heck is wrong. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 6.33. He says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Get the first button right. And all these things will be given to you as well. He's addressing the concerns of His followers who have left behind businesses, who have left behind families, who have left behind the good jobs or whatever else. And they're like, but what are we going to eat? And where are we going to live? And, and, and what are we going to wear? And Jesus is like, deep breath, guys. If you seek first God's kingdom, He's going to provide all that stuff. He knows you need all that stuff. You don't have to walk around worrying all the time. You can live a life of faith. Now, does that mean we don't have to be responsible with our finances? No, it doesn't mean that. But does it mean we can have peace and we don't have to walk around worrying about them all the time? Yeah, it does mean that. You bet it does. This is the secret to winning with money. And you talk to anyone who has taken this step and they will tell you it is. So the question is, do you trust God enough to put your life in the proper order? Ultimately, to say, God, you get my first, you get my best. I'm going to take a practical, functional step of doing that. And then we'll build the, the rest from there to get that first button right. I hope that's a step you're willing to at least pray and ask God about as we walk through this because I know it will transform everything for you. It's transformative. Now, I know there are some of us that are like, man, I, I don't have enough month left at the end of my money. 
uh, like I'm in debt, I've got all this other stuff going on, and it's a mess, and I don't even know how I begin to do that. Um, and, and I want to, first of all, I want you to know that um, I'm praying for you. That is, the, that is the case for so many people in our world. We have not been taught how to handle money in God's way. And because of that, so much of our culture and so many of us are struggling in the arena of finances. The second thing that I want to offer you is an opportunity to apply God's principles on stewardship, handling His stuff to your life in such a way that you can get out of debt, you can win with money, you can find financial peace. Because this is not what I want from you guys, it's what I want for you. One of the things that we, uh, we have offered for years, 20-some years, is Financial Peace University uh, by Dave Ramsey. Dave took the principles in God's Word surrounding finances and boiled them down into a class that's really quite dynamic, entertaining, fun. But if you apply these principles, and I've seen it over and over again, I've seen it in my life and countless other people's lives, you can begin to find financial peace. You can get your house in order, financially speaking, because God's principles work. It's almost like magic. But it's not magic. It's God. So here's what, here's what I want you to do. If you think, hey, I could use some help getting my finances in order, then I want you to take out your Connect card, and there's a place on the Connect card that says, sign me up for Financial Peace University. This is a $80 to $100 class. We're giving it to you for free today. It's yours. You can sign up, and it's not, we're not offering a group class. You take it online, sit down with your spouse or by yourself, and begin to get your house in order and apply God's principles to your finances. One of those ways that we apply God's principles to our finances is by giving Him our first and our best. And I would challenge you, even if things are difficult financially right now, you can't afford to not be generous and to not put God first and best in your finances. The question is, what does that look like? And that's why I want you to pray and listen and do what He tells you to do. But there is a way out of that. And I want you to take it. So mark that down on your Connect card. On your way out, drop them in the, in the bucket along with that prayer card. And then I want you to listen. Pray, listen for God's voice. And ultimately, when we come together on week six, do what He says. If you didn't get the widow's mites last week, I think we have some in the lobby. If we don't, we'll bring them next week. But keep these in your pocket and continue to pray. I remind you to pray and ask God. And then do what He says. Guys, this transformation is radical. When, when Jesus goes from being just our Savior to the Lord of our lives, when He goes from being co-pilot to, hey, you got the wheel. That affects every part of our lives. That affects our, it affects our finances. It affects our, our, our sexuality. It affects how we do our business and our work. It affects everything. But that is where the life you're looking for is found. I promise you. And it brings peace. It brings joy. It brings purpose. It grows your heart. 
You know, there are some of us today, you have been a, a church person, a, a follower of Jesus, but as I, as I have been laying all of this out, you have you kind of come to the conclusion of, oh, yeah, I'm still, I'm still on, in the driver's seat. And I want to invite you today to hand Jesus the wheel, to get out of the driver's seat and put him in it, to get off the throne of your life and put him on it, to stop calling the shots and allow him to call the shots in your life, practically speaking. And if that's you, I want you to pray with me right now. Let's just close our eyes, bow our heads. I want you to say something like this. You can put it in your own words, but something along the lines of, Jesus, it's been my show. I thank you for the forgiveness along the way and, and for the blessing that you have given me, but I have been the king of my life. And today I want to surrender it to you. Jesus, take the wheel. Be my Lord. It's all yours. And there are some of us here today, keep your eyes closed and just... But there are some of us here today, you're, you're looking for God, you're looking for answers, the world is a mess, and maybe, maybe just maybe, maybe church has some answers. Well, the answer is Jesus the life you're looking for is found in following Him. If you want to live a life that's fully alive, that is forgiven and redeemed and brand new, it's found in surrendering your heart and your life to Jesus and inviting Him in. And so if that's you, would you pray with me right now? Again, just something along these lines. Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins on the cross and I turn from the things in my life that I know are wrong and I turn to you come into my heart be the Lord of my life teach me how to follow you wholly and completely in your name Amen Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing one more song. As we do, I encourage you to listen for God's voice. I think he's, he's speaking right now to some of us. I think he's calling every single one of us to transformation in one area or another in our lives. And so as we speak Jesus over this place and over this congregation and over ourselves. Allow him to speak into your heart. Do what he says. Lord Jesus, fill this place with your spirit. Speak to our hearts as we worship you now. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. 
If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.